This strange tale of hauntings, vampires, mobs and arrests set to the backdrop of 1970s London has inspired many a horror fiction, but this is the true tale of the Highgate Entity. Welcome to the second episode of Agit Unexplained Series 4. And it is also the first part of our two-part look at the Highgate Vampire. In this series we will be looking at the stories behind some of the most famous mysterious tales of the strange, paranormal and unexplained. If you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. As always, we like to remind the listener that within this podcast are descriptions of murder and death, and you should be cautious if you find such things distressing. Also, with every story there are victims, so please spare a thought for those who have suffered. Early Encounters It has been stated that the first events of the Highgate Vampire Incident occurred in London in 1969, when the British Psychic and Occult Society was to suddenly receive a report of a strange spectral creature in and around the area of Highgate Cemetery. But there were earlier claims in 1967, when two teenage girls were traversing along Swain's Lane and stated that they had seen the dead rise from their graves at the cemetery's north gate. It was concurrent to these encounters that a dark tale about a tall man with a hat being repeatedly seen in the vicinity began to circulate. This sinister figure would linger slowly and purposefully about the cemetery before vanishing through the perimeter walls. The towering black ghost had been observed prowling amid the tombs of London's Highgate Cemetery. According to the London Evening News on November 2nd, 1968, graveyard desecrations by unknown persons occurred at Tottenham Park Cemetery in London on the night of Halloween 1968. Tottenham Park Cemetery is located 10 miles from Highgate Cemetery, but the subsequent events are often attributed to the Highgate location. In the Tottenham Park case, no figures were spotted, but flowers from graves were laid in circular designs, 
with blooms bunched into arrows, now pointing to a new grave, which had been unearthed and the coffin opened. The body within had been disturbed, but by far the most horrific thing to occur was that an iron spike had been thrust through the lid of the coffin and into the corpse's breast. More otherworldly apparitions were sighted at Highgate Cemetery in 1969, according to accounts received by the British Psychic and Occult Group. The majority of the claims were from persons who claimed to have been challenged by this apparition, which always appeared as the same tall black figure and was observed either within or while traversing through Highgate Cemetery. One elderly lady claimed she was scared by a tall, dark man who approached her from beyond the cemetery gates. She had gone on a late-night stroll with her dog, but as she reached the cemetery gates, it began to cry and try to flee. In a couple of seconds, she looked up and saw a person with blazing eyes looking at her. It went without a trace. The majority of the tales regarding this figure were from individuals who claimed to have been approached by this ghost, which terrified anyone who was in pursuit of travelling through the cemetery. Some of these tales were followed up on by the British Psychic and Occult Society when it was practical to do so, but many of them turned out to be repetitions of local myth that had been born out of the current sightings. The Thornton Encounter However, eventually a witness was located who claimed to have observed the phenomena firsthand. His sole proviso was that he wanted his identity to be kept anonymous, so that his story would not be mocked and ridiculed in the press. This gentleman was henceforth referred to as Thornton. Thornton claimed that he had been captivated by a something in the graveyard after visiting late one day to look around. As the light faded within the cemetery, Thornton decided to go, but he became hopelessly lost. He was wandering around calmly looking for the gate to the cemetery, not being superstitious or even believing in the idea of ghosts. He ultimately felt safe when he suddenly became aware of something behind him, swinging around. He observed a colossal dark ghost hovering barely six feet over the ground. After being drained of vitality by a great hypnotic force that rendered him oblivious to time and his surroundings in a matter of seconds, he became motionless and unable to move. The phantom's power was so tremendous that he lingered in this state for several minutes, or what he perceived to be several minutes, before gradually regaining his usual motor skills. When Thornton later reflected on the occurrence, he described it as almost as if some force of terribly evil proportions had actually sought him out with the intent to do serious harm. 
Thornton was assessed as being a simple, reasonable person who did not believe in fantasy or exaggeration. His job as an accountant alone lent itself towards demonstrating that he was fascinated by logic. There was no doubt that he had seen something. But what was particularly intriguing was that he described the entity as seeking him out and attempting to physically harm him. In the weeks that followed, many additional witnesses were interviewed, but most of these claims turned out to be second-hand reports or exaggerations of what had already been publicised. As this paranormal incident had been filed with the Society, it was necessary to obtain more information regarding the locale. David Ferrant would be chosen because of his personal interest to visit Highgate Cemetery during daylight hours to check the locations of the phenomenon's alleged appearances and possibly uncover some clues that could have otherwise explained its presence. Farrant visited the establishment, but it turned out to be disappointing because nothing important was discovered that gave any explanation, hoax or otherwise, for the two sightings. Farrant described the following within his book, Beyond the Highgate Vampire. I arrived at the cemetery in the morning and spent several hours there. It was the first time I had been there for over two years and the increase in vandalism was immediately apparent. Vaults had been broken open and coffins quite literally smashed apart. One vault near the top gate, although not visible from outside of it, was wide open and one could see the remains of a skeleton where it had been wrenched from a coffin. Another vault on the main pathway had been thus entered and one of the coffins inside set alight. Although this vault had been padlocked and chained, the door was made of an iron grill and the vandalized coffin was available for all to see. Furthermore, it appeared that virtually no attempt had been made to repair any of the damage. The only real indication the society had of any events occurring was the two accounts that had been filed, and it seemed to David Farrant the only way to credit or discredit their accounts and thus justify a full investigation was to spend a night in the cemetery to see if the phenomenon could be witnessed. The spot where Thornton had been challenged within the cemetery seemed ideal since it was lonely and there was no chance of being seen by anyone going by the top gate, which was the location where the old lady had seen the creature. The day chosen was December the 21st. The potential that the monster may be physically dangerous was not discounted. Farrant stated that he left the graveyard at 11pm and walked down the tiny alley that ran alongside the cemetery. It was here that he became conscious of what he called an extraterrestrial presence, which manifested as a feeling of no longer being alone. 
Farrant approached the top gate and prepared to climb over it. Before he did so, he decided to wait and take stock of the environment. His intention was to observe any moving trees or shadows that could have explained away the old lady's sighting. A quick peek through the time-worn bars revealed that objects near the gate itself along the route were pretty simple to detect through the surrounding darkness. Farrant could sense a clear feeling of something moving when he stared into this impenetrable darkness and deduced that what could have looked like a solid black object or shadow one minute might change shape or density the next. The black apparition seen by the elderly lady was most likely caused by the wind blowing through the undergrowth. Farrant further went on to state that some enormous animal was heard scurrying through the bushes to the right of the path. Then, out of nowhere, something caught his attention. As Farrant looked up, his fearful eyes fell upon a towering seven-foot-tall black form that was just within the fence. It was about five yards from the gate and was clearly visible. Farrant stated in his book, Any immediate doubts were soon dispelled when I saw two reddish eyes meeting my gaze from a black mass at the top of the shape, which I took to be its head. But these eyes were not human, rather reflected some alive presence. They were dull and penetrating like some hungry wolf, although the rest of it had no discernible features apart from a vague human shape. The whole situation seemed unreal, like some unwanted dream, but with determined effort I tore my gaze away realising that the entity was malevolent and that I had come under psychic attack. Without warning, the figure then suddenly vanished and it appeared that for the moment at least, the entity had retreated. Things, on the other hand, were about to take a turn for the worst. Animals were being found dead within the cemetery, drained of blood and with puncture wounds on their throats in the early months of 1970. On February the 6th, David Farrant wrote to the Ham and High Hampstead and Highgate Express with an account of an apparition he had seen. He reported his sighting of the black figure gliding around the area, and he was convinced that it was supernatural. After his letter was published, several other worried locals wrote in to say that they had seen the creature as well, with some reporting blood-red eyes and several claiming it glided rather than walked and was dressed in a dark grey suit. Farrant, on the other hand, had competition, a man who believed he knew more about the supernatural. He was an exorcist, a vampire hunter, and even a bishop under the name of Sean Manchester. According to My London, Sean Manchester gave himself up to be interviewed by the Ham and High in a piece headlined, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? shortly after David Farrant's letter was published. 
Manchester wasted no time in refuting Farrant's idea that they were dealing with a ghost. Writing after studying the evidence and reading all the witness reports, he was certain of the matter at hand, and I have a quote here. It became appallingly apparent that the people of Highgate were not witnessing a harmless earthbound apparition, but a vampire. Manchester made a number of dramatic assertions during his interview, including that this person was a king vampire, a medieval black magician who conducted black magic in Dracula's home before his physical demise and subsequent burial in the cemetery. Vampires have been recorded from the beginning of time. Every culture, every civilization has documented the existence of these awesome creatures of supernatural evil. It's only in recent years that the church and the society that we live in, which is mostly a materialistic one, has felt embarrassed by the admission that there can be such things as vampires. Mr. Manchester said that a modern Satanist had revived the body of the King Vampire and that his demonic form now patrolled the graveyard at night. Manchester stated that two Highgate girls who were originally victims of the vampire were now suffering from odd ailments and had been observed sleepwalking like zombies through the cemetery with puncture marks on their necks, thusly implying that a vampire had been feeding on them for his own nourishment. Manchester claimed to have spoken with residents who had witnessed vampire activity. A schoolgirl by the name of Elizabeth had spotted the vampire while strolling along Swain's Lane. Elizabeth began to have dreams in which an evil creature attempted to enter her room at night. Two small incisions emerged on her neck eventually, and she began to show signs of anemia. It was stated that her health quickly improved when Manchester and Elizabeth's boyfriend packed her room with garlic, crucifixes and holy water. Another young woman by the name of Jacqueline told Manchester she awoke in the middle of the night with something chilly gripping her hand. She later discovered large wounds in her skin where she would have struggled to release her hand the next morning. Following the release of information on the Highgate Vampire, Manchester stated that more people contacted him, all reporting a towering black figure with fiery eyes. As both Farrant and Manchester strove to stake their claim, a fierce rivalry arose between the two men, which would last as long as the tale of the vampire itself. Fully focused on the Highgate saga, Farrant originally refuted Manchester's accusations, insisting that it was a ghost and not a vampire, and that the media had enormously inflated the vampire concept. Manchester, on the other hand, was not having it with the ghost notion. He established himself as the dramatic hero of the tale from the start, portraying himself as the vampire hunter who would bring down the vampire of Highgate. The media, of course, was enthralled by this.
the investigation. David Farrant stated that it was agreed by the Society to hold a continuous nightly vigil at the cemetery, with two Society members stationed at each of the two locations where the apparition had been observed. The history of the cemetery, as well as any weird phenomena that may be linked to it, would be investigated. In this way, they hoped to find out about further sightings. It was decided to send a letter to a local newspaper urging readers to share any actual encounters so that any subscribers may be interviewed first-hand. Anyone who claimed to have seen the creature would be quizzed and their testimonies recorded. Similar stories may be found dating back to the Victorian era, and many had what Farrant termed vampiristic overtones. It had become clear to the society that reports of an apparition at Highgate Cemetery predated the present encounters. Count Dracula author Bram Stoker mentions Highgate Cemetery as the final resting place of one of Dracula's students. When he published his original book Dracula, he mentioned Highgate Cemetery or due to the vagueness of the description, an area near Highgate Cemetery as the final resting place of the student. It would appear that the legends and stories of Highgate preceded and influenced the encounters that were now being investigated. The early Victorian tales were indeed resurfacing, as well as the tale of Elizabeth Siddle. Siddle was buried beside her father-in-law, Gabrielli, at the Rossetti Family Cemetery on the west side of Highgate on February the 17th, 1862. She was an English painter, poet and model who lived from July the 25th, 1829 until February the 11th, 1862. Her mother-in-law, Frances Rossetti, 1886, Christina Georgina Rossetti, 1895, and William Michael Rossetti, 1895, are all buried in the same grave. Her husband, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, gave Charles Howell, a flamboyant figure who had made his way into the pre-Raphaelite group by claiming to be Portuguese aristocracy, and even donned a beautiful crimson belt to prove it, permission to disinter her coffin in August 1869 in order to collect a handwritten volume of Rossetti's poems that he had placed beside her head before burial. Howell did this in October 1869 with the help of Dr Llewellyn Williams and two others. Following that, Dr. Williams disinfected the book and the contents were then published in Rossetti's Book of Poems, 1870. Charles Augustus Howell described the extraordinary sight of the undecayed body with luxuriant red-gold hair that practically filled the casket. The inference being that Elizabeth was undead or in a state of catalepsy. However, there also appeared to be more substantial proof about the occult ceremonies to which Manchester referred to in his Ham and High interview. 
Farrant stated that he frequently discovered the discarded remains of Satanist rituals, stubs of black candles and satanic markings on the floors of tombs within Highgate Cemetery. Farrant, like Manchester, believed that such satanic acts had possibly reawakened a long-dormant supernatural presence. In the last few years, vandals stalking around the overgrown tombs have done over 9,000 pounds worth of damage. Statues have been swept from their pedestals and coffins disrupted and desecrated. But the general foreman of the grave diggers, William Law, who's worked here 23 years, it's worsened an already harrowing job. This plate glass type here is to cover all these concrete blocks here. That one there, that was smashed, the glass was smashed in there, and bam, has got in there, crawled through, broke open the coffin, emptied the corpse out on the floor, and took the, the metal container which the body was in. Farrant said that his investigations revealed that individuals had seen a similar creature in the Victorian era, and its absence for many years could have been disturbed by the aforementioned satanic rituals. According to Manchester, the police were aware of the cemetery's black magic operations and activities. Farrant was a part of a pagan and Wiccan group that utilised the cemetery for rituals and had no connection historically or in modern times with satanic rituals. As Farrant clearly stated, his group never tampered with the location and most certainly never messed with graves or bodies, but that they did take advantage of the isolated open space that the cemetery provided. One of the key factors to Wiccan and Pagan rituals is that they are performed out in the open. But this would lead to a terrible outcome. Links to our website and social media are in our bio, so feel free to get in touch, tell us how we are doing, and even suggest future episodes that we can cover. Next week will be the conclusion to our two-part look at the Highgate Vampire. Thanks for listening. If you are listening to this message, then the subliminal frequency has successfully calibrated to your mind. Do not be alarmed. I am here to advise you to explore the occult area of Albion.
The Occultaria of Albion is both a written series as well as a podcast. It explores various locations where paranormal and supernatural events have occurred. It is a broadcast on a forgotten frequency. Hauntings, time slips, cryptids, cults and more are investigated and examined. Enter a world designed by torch and moonlight. Go to occultariaofalbion.com or search Occultaria of Albion wherever you find your favourite podcasts. End transmission.